Please rise for the reading of God's word this morning. We'll be in Genesis chapter 8. This is the eternal word of God. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. May we be blessed by the reading of God's holy word this morning. You may be seated. I'll be teaching more than just one verse. I'll try to cover 40 verses this morning. Um, if I don't cover all of them, I'll come back next week and cover the rest. But before I cover uh, this passage this morning, I just want to bring our focus and our attention to some things. We, we This morning, as you can see, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And we are taking the Lord's Supper today uh, because we're breaking our fast that God called us to for the first three weeks of the year. And so this morning we're going to come and we'll, at the end of the service, break this fast. You know, we said in the first of the year that we wanted to call on God, that God would hear us and respond to us. We looked at Daniel, where Daniel fasted for three weeks. And then in Daniel chapter 10, it says uh, that I heard your pleas and I responded. And so we've been uh, crying out for God's mercy and God's grace and God's favor onto us. And so this morning we'll break that fast. But before we do that, I want to call us to something that I've just been wrestling with over the last 10 days or so. Um, as I've been journeying through the book of Acts, uh, the Acts is the Acts of the Apostles, or really it's the start of the church, uh, where Christ has ascended into heaven and He empowers the 12, and then the 12, just 3,000 people because of the proclamation of God's Word through Peter come to know Christ. And then there's this theme that you'll see in the first few chapters as that early church is coming together. Two things that it says. They, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they also devoted themselves to prayer. And I told this to the group that met Wednesday night. I believe as a church, we do a, a great job of preaching and teaching God's holy word. Not just myself, but our Sunday school teachers, uh, our small group leaders. Uh, we are faithful with God's word. Um, a th place that God has really been convicting me of as a, a person, as a follower of Christ, but also as a pastor, is the devotion to God through prayer. And so I'm going to ask us uh, to continue this fast, but we're going to do it the first Monday of every month. So in two, not tomorrow, uh, but on the 6th, I believe, of uh, February, we're going to continue our fast. Um, whatever it is you were fasting from, maybe it's just in the morning or all day, it's up to you. But we're going to continue our fast every Monday, of the, fir the first Monday of every month, that we would continue to call out and cry out to God. Now, I mean, that's not three weeks of fasting, so if you're like, oh, okay, like, I, I want my, you know, whatever you fasted from back. I'm just asking, maybe it's just one meal, one hour. Let's continue our fast to continue throughout this year of 2020 that God would call us uh, to fast and pray and ask him for things. You know, all of you, they're still in the back, got this prayer card. This is a way that you can pray uh, for the church, what God would do. And what we've been asking God for is that God would bring us 12 new families, that 12 new families from this community would have an opportunity to hear and to see uh, the gospel through this church. 
And that seven of those families would, would join this year. And that we would see eight salvations and ten baptisms. And that we would see 280 boxes get filled with the gospel to go into the uttermost parts of the world. And so let's continue our fast. Not We're going to break it today, but we're going to go back next, mon- next Monday, the following Monday, and continue our fast. Also, just uh, as a way that I know many of you have been praying for my friend that I mentioned a little over six weeks ago that was uh, battling cancer. Uh, the Lord called him home on Wednesday morning. And so he is in the presence of glory this afternoon at five o'clock, though his family will gather in Florida for a uh, service of remembrance of him. So just be praying for uh, Megan and their four boys um, as God took their husband and their uh, dad uh, this past week. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then uh, with the time remaining, we're going to jump into God's holy word to see what he would have for us this morning. Let us pray. God, you've been kind to us already this morning to allow us to wake up and to rise and come into this place to fellowship with you, to fellowship with one another, and to hear your word proclaimed through Sunday school and now uh, through this time that is remaining. I pray that you would use your word, God, through the Holy Spirit to bring transformation to all of us in this room. If there's someone here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning would be the morning that you would draw them and call them to yourself. And for those of us who proclaim you as Lord and Savior, that you would use this morning to continue to stir our affections for you and you would rise within us a place of sanctification, that we would become more and more like you. You called us be holy for I am holy. And I pray that that would happen from the reading and teaching and washing of your word in our hearts this morning. God, we do pray for all the churches in our area that preach and proclaim the word this morning. But we do pray again for Brother Frank as he heralds your word over at Holly Grove, that you would use him and you would use that message, God, for your glory and for your kingdom to come. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. We are in Genesis chapter 8. I'll try to get us all the way to the middle of Genesis chapter 9. As you know, last week we've covered some ground. This week we're covering a little bit more ground as we'll get into as we come around the last bend of this series that we've labeled origins. And we've labeled it origins because this is the origins of what we believe to be true doctrinally about the Bible and all that we know to be true about the Bible. Last week we left us, uh, the word left us with Moses being called by God, put into a boat, and the waters began to rise. And so Noah and his family are on a boat. So that's where we talked about. But we ended by saying and asking the question for you and for me, if there is an ark, the greater ark is Christ Jesus. Have you been called and placed into the greater ark? And I will cover that some more. This morning, are you covered in the covenant that God has established? So here we are in Genesis chapter 8. I want to look at three things. There's four things. I won't get to one of them Uh, just for the sake of time. I'll take that out. Uh, It's in the middle section. But the first one is this. The floods receded. That's the uh, point that we'll start with. It's uh, verses 1 through 12 if you're taking notes. I won't read all those. I'll just kind of highlight and then go on to the next one 
for the sake of time this morning. It says this, but God remembered Noah. Remember that Noah is in an ark. He's been called by God, placed in the ark that God had said that he was going to wipe out everything through a massive flood. And so now we see that Noah has been in the ark for at least 150 days. We see that in chapter 7. 150 days. Noah's been in this boat. And it says that God remembered. Now highlight that word in your Bible. That word remember isn't the idea that, that God had forgotten Noah. It's not like you and I, when we come and we've been called to something and begin to do something, anyone else have like short-term memory? You just kind of, like, there's a lot of times I'll be starting something and then halfway through I'm like, I don't even know what I was doing. Anyone ever, am I just the only one? Okay, good, I'm not so lonely up here. But that's not what's going on with God. God is not up and He didn't put Noah on the ark and then send the ark out and then bring the rains. And then He just thought, I just had this, like, like a, uh, an old moment. Now the word remember in that text from the Hebrew means this. That God is going to act on Noah's behalf. So it's an action word. It's not like a remembrance like, oh, I, I forgot something. It's like God is still in the midst of what God had called him to do and what God is going to accomplish through Noah. I don't know about you, But how often in your life and in my life has God called us to something and then it feels like God is nowhere to be found? Like God, He Noah had this conversation with God and God is the one we remember from the previous chapter that God is the one that put Noah on the boat and then sealed the door behind him. Noah did not seal himself in the ark. God Himself sealed Noah in the ark. I just wonder in those 150 days, we'll see that God doesn't respond or talk to Noah to the very middle of this passage. And I just wonder, as that rain kept coming and coming for 40 days, and the water kept rising and rising, and the smells got worse and worse, you got to remember, like, he's on a boat, he's on a floating barn. That that's not going to smell good. And he's floating in a water full of dead things. Like it's not like he's like cruising. Like if you've ever been on a cruise, it's not going to be like crystal clear water. Like man, this is awesome. He's not eating at the buffet. Like he's struggling with life. And I just wonder if Noah felt forgotten. You ever felt forgotten by God? Well, we can come and I could just preach this morning on this one word. God is always remembering us. He does not forget you, no matter what you're going through this morning. God may be silent, but God is not distant. And God is not in heaven and forgotten exactly what God wants to do in your life. Now, I don't know when he's going to remember. But I know the promise of God is that he always remembers. And it says that, but God remembered Noah. Not only was it Noah that he remembered, but what else does it say? He remembered all things. He remembered all the beasts. 
and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And then it says this, when God remembered, God acts. It says this, and God made a wind over the earth and the water subsided. The moment that God acts is the moment that we see change begin to happen. Now, you and I may come to that word wind in that first verse that God made a wind. That wind, that word wind, circle it in your Bible, is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter one for the spirit that hovered over the waters. Remember what we talked about who that spirit was. It was the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't that God blew wind that covered, that moved the water. It was God saying to the Holy Spirit, hey, go and move on my behalf to rescue my people. So the Holy Spirit is going to be part of the agent that God is going to use to have nature respond and bring salvation. So God remembers, the Holy Spirit moves. And then it says this, And the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heaven was restrained. How come? Because of the Holy Spirit, not because it stopped raining. But God said through the Holy Spirit, stop, and it ceased. The same way that Jesus says that, remember when He's with His disciples on the boat? And His disciples are wigging out because of this horrible storm. And what does God say through Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Cease. And calmness and peace came through the words of Christ Jesus the same way that comes through God, through the Holy Spirit in this text. And it says, the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of the 150 days, the water had abated. That, that means that water began to come down or recede. Or be drained, if you will. Then in the seventh month, of the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains. Circle the word rest in your Bible. Remember what Noah's dad said was going to happen. It's a play on words here in the text. That Noah was going to bring rest to God's people. And now that same word is used as the ark is resting on the top of these mountains. That rest is coming in the midst of the chaos. So the waters begin to come down. And as the waters come down, it says this. That they begin to see the tops of the mountains. Which means that he must have been on the highest mountain to see the tops of the other mountains. They, most scholars believe that somewhere in southern Turkey, northern Iran is where they believe that mountain range is at. And then it says this in verse 6. And at the end of the 40 days, Noah opened a window. Now, if you do the timeline from when Noah got into the ark and the moment that he opens the window for the first time, you can count. It's been over a year that Noah's been in this boat. That is a long time to be on a boat. And we're going to see that even though he opens a window, he's got a lot longer to stay on the boat. So even when God acts, it doesn't mean that God's going to bring instant salvation to us or instant relief to us. So you're waiting for instant relief. That may not happen in your life, but God is still at work in our lives. So for a year, Noah's been on this boat. So he opens this window that he had made and set forth a raven. So 
He begins to see the waters coming down. And he, he thinks to himself, hey, how can I know if all the waters have come down? So he sends out a bird, a raven. That's interesting to me that he doesn't send out the dove first. He sends out a raven first. Now, what Moses is showing us, there's this contrast between a raven and a dove. Anyone know about ravens? It's what we would call a vulture. Vultures are nasty animals. And what does a vulture do? Where is a vulture going to find its peace, its resting place? Death. So he's going to send out the raven first. The raven's going to find death because death is everywhere. Could you imagine just for a moment as those waters came down? It wasn't like there's a drain plug that sucks all the dead carcasses down with it. Like death is everywhere. Dead bodies, dead animals. Like death is everywhere. And so Noah... Noah Sends out the raven first. The raven flies around, it says. And of course it's going to find places to land and pick flesh and eat. And it doesn't come back. But then it says this. The bird, to our knowledge, doesn't come back. But the waters begin to dry up even more. And then he set forth a dove from him. To see if the waters had subsided, I'm in verse 8, from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to an ark, to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole, the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. And he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark. And then he waited another seven days and sent her out again. I don't know about you, but I, like that would be getting old to me. Like get me off of this boat. There's no space on the boat. A hundred days. A hundred days, they're on this boat. The water's begun to come down. So he sends out the dove again. And again, it set forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him that evening. So this is the second time, the third time it comes back. And it brings back a plucked olive leaf. Now, here's what you got to know about a dove. The dove, throughout the text, throughout God's Word, Represents light or represents hope. Remember what it was like when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus? It was like a what? A dove. It's a place that brought hope. And so now the hope is sent out. And what's it bring back? And of all the things that bird could have found. Like it could have found a bone. It could have found an apple tree. It could have found, I don't know, maybe a pine tree. What's it find? An olive branch. You know what an olive branch stands for throughout the whole Bible? Peace. I don't think that's by mistake. That that's what God chose for that bird to find. I think it was a sign to Noah. This is my belief. A sign to Noah that he is saying to Noah, I have brought you peace through hope. The hope is in the bird, but the bird, the hope, brings the peace that the chaos has stopped. And it's a sign to Noah saying, I am going to go back to what I promised you back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 6, that I will establish a covenant with you, a place of peace with you. 
And I just wonder what happened in the heart of Noah when that bird flew with that olive branch in, his, in her mouth. Like that relief that man must have felt. So now Noah knows that there's been, there is peace between him and God and between him and the earth. Remember, God has still not spoken yet. Over a hundred days of not hearing the Lord. Now this was a righteous, blameless man that heard from the Lord on a daily basis. Like for those hundred years that he's putting together the boat, he was listening and hearing from God. And now a hundred days of just silence from God. But then it says this in the text. He says this. In the 600 year, this is verse 13. The first year of the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month of the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said. Catch that in your text. Noah did not get off of the boat until God told him to get off the boat. Like Noah saw, he saw that the land was dry. We just read that. Now, I don't know about you, but I know what I would have done the moment that bird brought that leaf back. I would have gotten off the boat. It would have been enough. Like I wouldn't like get space and just get away from people, get away from animals. But he waited patiently for the Lord to tell him his next move. Again, I could preach all day just on that one part of the text. How often are we not patient for the Lord to act on our behalf? Because Noah knew if if God put him on the boat, then God would be the one that would have to bring him off the boat. And so it says that he waited and the Lord spoke. And then he said in verse 15, go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your son's wife with you. Bring out every living thing that is that is with you. All of flesh, the birds and the animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. He's going back to his first promise that he told him to do in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to reestablish this creation through multiplication through you and the animals. I will do what I said I was going to do back in Genesis chapter 1. And I want to use you to be a part of that. And then every beast and every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Now the ark is empty. Noah's out of the ark. Now what would you do? What would your first response be coming off the boat? Now, Now think about this. He's got no home. He's got no garden. He's got very limited food supply because all he has is what's on the boat. Like he doesn't allow his anxiety to take over that says, man, I got to get a house. I got to get a job. I got to start working. Like, how am I going to feed my family? Like, what am I going to do? Look at Noah's first response. Then Noah built an altar. He stopped in the first 
thing that Noah does after Noah is called by God to get off the boat is not go figure out what to do next. He worships a holy God. The first place in the Bible that we see the word altar, that an altar was built. It is a sign for us that worship is taking place. No, it is not the first sacrifice, but it is the first altar. And I just wonder in my life, I wonder in your life, when I leave the boat, so to speak, is my response to worship a holy God? Or is it to figure what to come next? I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, my tendency is not to build an altar and worship God. My tendency isn't even a place of gratitude. My, my tendency is a place of relief and move on. That, that's my tendency. But we see why it was said about Noah back at the beginning of his life that he was a righteous and blameless man. Noah was always focused on God and God alone. So when God brings the relief from the flood and God brings the relief from the waters in your life and it begins to come down, is your response, is my response to build an altar and worship a holy God? So he worships God. And then we see what happens because of his worship to God. I don't think this is a coincidence. And God blessed Noah. He says this in verse 21, God smelled the pleasing Roma and God said in his heart, he made this promise because of the worship of, he says, I'll never do this again. I'll never curse the ground because of man. For even though the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I ever again strike every living thing as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and told him again, be fruitful and multiply. The part I'll skip this morning is this. Then out of this comes this place of these cultural mandates. It's how to eat and not eat blood. So if you like a rare steak, I'm just saying. Just kidding. But he tells them how not to do things and what not to eat. Then he talks about uh, if you want to know about capital punishments in this text. And God says this is the way you're going to have to live. So there's some cultural mandates that are established after the flood. But then the sweetest part of the text happens in verses 8 through 17. So God blesses Noah. And then it says this in verse 8. Then God said, after Noah builds an altar, after Noah worships, after God establishes how he is to live, he then says this, and then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish what? My covenant with you and your offsprings after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. This covenant is for everyone and every 
thing is what Christ, uh, what God says. I establish my covenant with you that never again, this is the promise that he's making with his covenant, that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you from all future generations. I will set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sweetest part of this text is the covenant that God has made with mankind. Remember what he said in Genesis chapter 6. He says this, I will establish a covenant with you. And now in Genesis chapter 9, he establishes the covenant that he made, the promise he would do with Noah. God is a God that keeps his promises. Remember what we said last week uh, about a covenant. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. But here's the difference about this kind of covenant. Three things. This covenant is this. It is first universal. Like not every covenant is universal. Like most covenants are between me and one other person. But this covenant, what God has established, is universal. It's for all of mankind. God has made a promise to all of mankind that He'd never destroy us the way He did. Now, there is going to be wrath that comes from God, but it won't be in the midst of a flood. It's a universal covenant. And as we talked about last week, this covenant of both the promise of God that He will restore our things and that wrath is coming, His covenant, His universal covenant, He is steadfast and He is patient that all man should repent. And thank God for the covenant that allows all men to repent. It's a universal covenant. The promise that God made to God's people. The second is this. Not only is it universal, but is unilateral. Meaning this way. It's not you made no covenant with God. God made a covenant with you. Look at all the ways, all the pronouns. I will, I will, mine, he says. He doesn't say ours. This is not our covenant. This is not what you and I have established. He says, what I have established, it's mine, and I'm now giving it to you. So it's unilateral. You and I play no part in it. Therefore, not only is it universal, not only is it unilateral, but it's also this. It's unconditional. That what God is saying in the text is it doesn't matter what you do, I'm still making a promise and a covenant to you and I will uphold it 
not based on your merit, but on mine. Thank God for His unconditional covenant with His holy people and His unholy people. And then He says this, I'm making that covenant and now I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant. Everywhere that you see in the text that God makes a covenant with His people, there's a sign that follows the covenant. There's a covenant with the, the, the Israelites. What's the covenant? That He would be their people. And what's their sign? The sign of circumcision. He plays that all the way out to the New Testament. There's a covenant between Christ and His people, the church. And it's the same circumcision, but this time it's the circumcision of the heart. That's not something we do. God does that for us and gives us that sign as a promise of what He's going to do. He says that. I've set this covenant and this promise so that I would remember, remember the word remember means that I'll continue to act on your behalf. So I've set this sign. This sign is this. The sign is a bow. A rainbow. Now I think we think, oh, what a cute rainbow. But let's look at the text. He says this. This is the sign that I'll give you. A bow that I'll hang in the clouds. Now, circle the word bow in your Bible as big as possible. Because the word bow in the Hebrew means this. A warrior's bow. It is not like a cute rainbow. It's an archery bow. And so God is saying to Noah that here's my sign of the promise. I'm going to set my bow or my wrath aside so that the promise to make an everlasting covenant through one man will come. Now God in His goodness and His kindness and in His wrath can pick that bow up at any time and take us all out. But God said, this is my sign. I'm going to put the bow away. And so we come and we see the rainbow and we think, oh, cute. Where's the leprechauns in the pot of gold? But that's not the bow that God is talking about. God is talking about this archer bow, this weapon that he's setting aside. as a promise to us. That he will continue to act on our behalf. First, like I said last week, in goodness and in mercy and justice. There will be a day he takes that bow back up. But He's giving us a lot of time to come to a place of repentance. So every time we see a rainbow, it's a reminder that God is not ready to take His bow up and bring His wrath onto the, to the people that have not repented of His sin. He says this in verse 16, and with this I'll close. And the bow is in the clouds, and I'll see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature that is of the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What do you think happened in the heart of Noah the first time it started raining again? Oh, no. Right? Noah had only seen rain one other time and it was for... 40 straight days. So what do you think? Like, man, here comes those clouds rolling in. Where do you think Noah's heart went? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 
And it began to rain and rain and rain and rain. I just wonder how often Noah was thinking, man, where's the rainbow? And then when the clouds start parting and that rainbow starts coming, I wonder the sweet relief that, oh, God has remembered us in his promise. I don't know how cloudy your days are right now. I don't know how stormy your life is right now. I don't know if you're feeling like the water is beginning to rise above your feet, above your shoes, to your ankles, to your knees. I don't know how deep you are in it. But I do know this. God has not forgotten you. And I do know this. God will not let you drown in the midst of the waters rising no matter what because He's made an everlasting promise with us. And God will remember and God will send a rainbow. But let us never forget the rainbow that He's already sent to us. His name is Christ Jesus. God established an everlasting covenant with His people because there was a man that didn't last through that flood. He died. God poured out His whole wrath on one man. The floods came. The floods prevailed. And the floods took one man. But by God's great power and goodness and kind to us, three days later, the rainbow came. And we have a rainbow today in Christ Jesus. Turn with me for a moment. About this covenant, this promise. We're going to go two places and then I'm going to end and then we're coming to the Lord's Supper. Hebrews chapter 13. The title of the passage is this, the sacrifices that please God. says this in verse 12, and I'll come back, I'll go over, skip over to verse 20, but I want to read verse 12. It says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the approach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come through him, Christ. Then let us continue to offer up sacrifices of praise to God the same way that Noah did. That is, that the fruits of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect in doing good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And then he says this in verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the death our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may dwell and do his will working in us, that which is pleasing in the sight of God through Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's through Christ's blood that brings us peace. 
through Christ's blood, His sacrifice. So the same way that Christ has brought us peace, the same way that God had brought peace to Noah, what is our only response? Turn to Romans chapter 12. You may know this passage well. Our only response, because of Christ's redeeming blood and calling us into new life, must be this. What the Apostle Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The same way that Noah stepped out of the boat and worshiped God. When God brings you peace and brings me peace through Christ, our only response must be a place of sacrifice and worship that is holy and pleasing to God. That only happens because of Christ's body that's been broken for us and Christ's blood that has been poured out for us. This is what he says. This is a what a new covenant that I give to you. It trumps the old covenant. This is the new covenant. The same way that God established a covenant with Noah. God is now through Christ Jesus, through his broken body and his poured out blood, established a blood covenant with us through Christ Jesus, that is the reason we come to this table this morning as a place of remembrance of all that God has done for us. Let us pray.